Uh, the song whisper today, new Monday feature. I say the lyrics, you guess the song. I was delayed, I was waylaid. An emergency stop, I smelt the last 10 seconds of life. I crashed down on the crossbar. It's not your usual eagle song, I tell you that. Um, and uh, not many got it, but one person who did get it was Dean. Kia ora, Dean. Kia ora, how you doing? Very well. What a great song, huh? It is a great song. Classic. Um, a lot of classics, really, from, yeah. from that band. Do we did announce you, who it is? But did he get it straight away? Yes. Oh, well, I, I got the fact that it was the Smith straight away, and then I had to <laughs> just think for a few moments uh, to get the actual title. And as luck would have it, I actually opened my glove box um, <laughs> in the car, and that, the best of the Smith CD, was sitting right there on top. Um, and so I was able to get the, the name exactly right. It's just a reminder, really, um, Dean, of the sheer brilliance of the Smiths. Huh? I mean, those lyrics, quite extraordinary. But also the other, I mean, listen, let's turn up a bit. Let's go. I mean, isn't that beautiful, the, 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 the brilliance too, Dean, of um, Johnny Marr? Yes, amazing use of guitars, really, and um, just some of the sounds that they, they got out of them for a guitar band, and the poetry of the lyrics, too, yeah. is quite amazing. Yeah. Some of it's quite negative, but, or, you know, emotional, but the, don't the music is so up and positive that um, it's quite unique. Yeah, kia ora, Dean. Thanks for your time, right. yeah. Yeah, uh, kind of. I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> one more thing. Um, an early flatmate who was very keen on them said, "There's a there's a Smith song for every single occasion." Well, let's let's te- right. okay. Well, let's test that out, Connor. It's four a.m. You've pulled on your gummies. Uh, you, 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 you're out in the mud. Uh, the cows are waiting. You put on the Smiths. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't. No. I'd um, I'd probably put on uh, not someone who wasn't the Smiths, but it, that sounds very pleasant music, doesn't it? <laughs> Sue Kisley, you're up at six a.m. You're getting ready for a meeting uh, down at the Capital and Coast District Health. You're not there anymore, but nonetheless, you wake up. You need something rousing. If you're not if you're not listening to the Morning Report, would it be the Smiths? Count me up. Um, okay. Wallace, yep. All right, Dean. All right, it didn't work for these not two, for Dean. <laughs> but thanks for being with me. Uh, right, to 25 to 5, the panel, RNZ National. Former Cabinet Minister Chris Farfoy is set to become a lobbyist, setting up a new firm, Dialogue 22. This is weeks after leaving his ministerial role in government. Max Rashbrook said Farfoy will have been privy to the most important political issues in the land, compiling a treasure trove of information. And Dr Bryce Edwards says New Zealand rules on lobbying are shockingly unregulated rules and has been writing on this issue for some years now, so we thought we'd get him on. Dr Edwards is a political analyst in residence at Victoria University Wellington. He's the director of the Democracy Project. Dr Edwards, kia ora. And I'm also a Smiths fan, so yes, I'm I'm, I'm certainly going to vote in favour of listening to the Smiths and Morrissey each day. Oh, thank goodness there's one on the panel, uh, Bryce. Um, but by the way, no one here is accusing Farfoy of corruption, no one's suggesting that he is corrupt, but this practice of shifting from a cabinet role and fairly quickly into lobbying, you say it should be illegal. 
Absolutely. It is illegal in most countries mm-hmm. that are like New Zealand. And I know Sue has tried before to make this illegal, so Indeed. I'll be interested to hear what she thinks oh. about uh, the Chris Farfoy uh, situation. And uh, But absolutely, look, he's not necessarily doing anything that's illegal, but I think it should be, uh, there should at least be a calling off period of something like two years, three years maybe, but before political insiders can move into these lobbyist positions. Because okay, I did really it is Yep. Yes, sorry, Bryce. I didn't. Re- yes, I right. wasn't. I wasn't familiar with Sue that you were really as involved in this uh, topic as well. So we'll get to you soon. But uh, Bryce, so here we, yep. we here we have the US uh, a cooling off period of two years. The UK a cooling off period of two years. What's the cooling off period in Aotearoa? It's at zero. And so what? Chris Farfoy... No, was, what, nothing. Was, none, whatsoever. Chris Farfoy was a cabinet minister, you know, three months ago. He's now a, a lobbyist. And there's plenty of others. This is really just the latest case study of political insiders going in to leverage their political connections, knowledge, to make money for private interests, for ha- vested interests. Hang on. So, uh, because this is hardly new stuff, as you say, there are other examples as well. But you can literally just jump straight off into, say, a ministerial role and the next week be part of lobbying? Yeah, and there's absolutely nothing to stop you doing that. And it seems to happen quite regularly. And it's not just, of course, cabinet ministers. It's senior staffers and beehives for for all stripes of government. Um, In fact, you know, you, you get them going the other way as well, from being lobbyists to being political insiders. So, of course, uh, Troy Farnell, the, the new mayor of Wellington, she was a lobbyist last week and is no longer a lobbyist, but it's this revolving door that just means people can go backwards and forwards and they can leverage their, you know, their positions of power to, uh, to help uh, private interests kind of know how to get through the political system. And, you know, we, we need you know, some lobbyists. We, you know, lobbying isn't entirely bad, but there's no transparency. And so they should at least be telling us who their clients are. But there's absolutely no okay. uh, requirements. Sue Kesley, let's bring you in. A circuit breaker of, a, I think, Canada. Canada, it's five years. UK, mm. two years. US, uh, two years. Some listener would be shocked that there's no calling off period in New well, Zealand. It's, your thoughts? it's not just that there's no calling off period. The fact that, you know, you can one day you can be a cabinet minister the next year with all this incredible inside knowledge about, you know, what's going to happen over the next nine months in government. But there's no public accountability, no scrutiny of lobbyists in our parliament. And why this is dear to my heart is I drew up a I think we called it the Lobbying Disclosure Bill, and it would have set up a register of lobbyists, a code of conduct, would have covered issues like this. So we could see who is lobbying and trying to influence the government, and based on what most countries have overseas. And it was defeated in Parliament by you know both Labour and National opposing it. And the reality is, every day in Parliament, I mean, I saw it myself, we have lobbyists scuttling around uh, Parliament, and it's all done in secret. And so what we need is just some openness, transparency, scrutiny, which is what my legislation would have introduced. Um, but anyway, uh, hopefully sooner or later, we'll catch up with the rest of the world. We seem to be very naive about this whole issue. Stay there, Bryce. Let's bring Connor in. Uh, yeah, well, look, <clears throat> I am a lobbyist, uh, and I have worked in the Beehive for, for four years. So um, you're part of the problem. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, not really, because uh, I think there is an issue around a cabinet minister um, moving straight into lobbying 
uh, halfway through a, uh, a term of a government. Um, I think that is an issue that does need to be resolved, actually. Um, but in what way? Look, how? Pe- the reason people engage lobbyists is because they're looking for skills and expertise and knowledge and understanding about processes and how to get outcomes. And when you work in any environment, and in this case it just happens to be the beehive, you gain those skills and expertise that people who don't work there don't have. And so that's that's what you're selling. So if, if I was wanting to influence a government in another country somewhere, I'd go and hire someone who'd operated in that system. Just like, you know, if I want to get my car fixed, I'd get someone who's operated in, in a garage and used to fixing cars. Bryce? Yeah, and I think increasingly around the world, we're seeing the public becoming a bit more cynical about that and sceptical, especially with the big increase of inequality in the world. There's a feeling that there's the the wealthy that are actually doing really well out of these connections, out of being able to use lobbyists to get their way to get lower taxation, to stop capital gains taxes or whatever. And so... um, Well, more housing, more social housing, uh, all sorts of things that are very positive for the environment, you know, better cancer treatment. Not many of us can... There's a big long list. It's not just uh, one specific agenda that you might... I know, but me, most, most New Zealanders can't afford to pay lobbyists, um, often very large sums of money. And we have to make sure that that they're not capturing uh, the whole process um, and that they're not having undue influence and exert, you know, un- exerting undue influence in uh, government policy. I, I know there's a little bit of a scandal in um, England where Mrs Truss got some ginormous... Uh, contribution from um, the wife of a BP, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, a BP executive. And then the next thing is she's sort of, uh, infl- she's supporting legislation that will assist in BP, lo- you know, BP yep. lobbying. So we just have to be very, we're not saying this, that it's sinister and shouldn't happen, but it yep. should be open. There mm. should be some rules, mm. and most countries do have it. But in, in New Zealand, it's the Wild West. And some circuit yeah. breaker as well. Now, Dr. Edwards, um, some would say that New Zealand is a really, really small country, and you have to be yeah. realistic. You come off a high-powered political role, what else are you going to do? You know, you've got a yeah. right to build a new career with a co-papa that you're really well versed in. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it is a small country and we have a lot of overlapping um, networks and people doing jobs. But that's just why we need more of the regulation to make it transparent. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, Chris Farfoy had to get a job, but he's chosen one where there's a direct conflict of interest. And um, yeah, I don't know, 99.9% of jobs won't have a conflict of interest. It's just that politicians tend to go for the ones where there is a conflict of interest. We just need a bit more transparency about it. Okay, so first step, uh, and it doesn't seem to be a step too far removed or too impractical, you were saying, uh, like others, that there does need to be some sort of break between that job and your next one, or what they call a calling-off period of, say, 18 months, two years. I think that's absolutely right. And then I think we just need lobbyists to be upfront about who their clients are and be transparent about it. So, And then, no, it can carry on. There's nothing wrong with lobbying per se. It's just when it's all behind the scenes and opaque. You can go to, you can go to, um, <laughs> you can go to our website. You'll see who the clients are. Well, that's yeah, good I then. Think, I think that's good. Yeah, mm. absolutely. That's good. All good. No yeah. worries. I don't think there's many lobbyists that are like that, though.
Mm. Oh, do you think so, Bryce? That's my um, that's my research so far showing that not many will disclose who their clients are. They might right. have a few clients, but not all of them. So if, if Connor is giving a list of all his clients, then yeah, that's very admirable and, and best practice, I think. So he wouldn't mind be having a register of lobbyists? Oh, well, I don't know. I'd, I'd certainly agree with having the cooling off period when you're halfway through... Uh, a political term and you've got a minister who's um, you know just out of cabinet five minutes um, I think that situation's not that helpful but if it's at the end of the term and there's been a change of government and yep. they start three months after they were cabinet ministers I don't think that matters too much. Very good that was Dr Bryce Edwards there just finally uh, so on this um, there's got to be some change within the next few years that can't be that difficult to do have that um, have that circuit breaker well, it's proven extremely difficult because um, both Labour and National oppose the Green Party bill on this very issue. So um, I'm not optimistic. 15 to 5, the panel. RNZ National and Wallace Chapman here. Very nice to be with you today. I'm with uh, Sue Kedgley and Connor English. It's World Mental Health Day. Now, last Thursday... On the panel, our panellist and chemistry professor from Auckland University of Technology, Alan Blackman, he said this. I suffer really, really badly from anxiety and I had a couple of panic attacks about, I don't know, about 15 or so years ago and my life hasn't been the same since. And so I can't fly by myself. Um, I basically can't be alone by myself. It's just, it's, it's terrible. It, it, it is just crippling, crippling anxiety. It was quite an extraordinary omission from uh, Alan and he kept on, went on to say that he just can't be in a room by himself and he still does suffer from it today. We had a big response from our listeners, many keen to help Alan offering suggestions and coping strategies. And by the way, uh, Alan said thank you to all those who did uh, get in touch about that. So anyway, I thought we'd bring in Sarah Woodard from, well, he, Sarah's the Chief Executive of Anxiety NZ. Sarah, kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. When you hear someone like Alan, what do you hear? Well, anxiety is a really normal um, response um, designed to keep us safe and motivated, and it helps us to adapt. But sometimes when anxiety is really severe or it goes on a long time or it doesn't match the situation, it can feel really uncomfortable and actually um, really distressing. But the, the good news is, is there's heaps we can do to help um, strengthen our mental health and well-being and to respond um, to those feelings of anxiety. Let's touch on some of those then because that's what um, uh, many got in touch with. You know, what are some things that perhaps I can do or I can proceed with to actually uh, manage that anxiety to help with it, Sarah? But everyone has capacity um, for their mental health and well-being to improve and people can really enjoy positive mental health and well-being. So it's important that we're really heavily investing in, our, in ourselves and our families and communities around uh, health and well-being. So uh, lots around the balance of activities. So we, we hear a lot about um, the importance of sleep and exercise, mm. nutrition, hydration. There's, these things really, really matter. They're the basics we've got to get right. If they're not in balance, then very unlikely that our physical health or our mental health is going to be in great shape. Um, another really important piece is connection. So relationship with ourselves, with our family and find right. our, yeah. our culture, spiritual and even nature. Um, so we need to get those basics right and then moving on to um, those everyday activities to help support our well-being. Sue Kedley. 
Well, I think the more, you know, it's, it's people's lives, are, you know, it's so debilitating. People's lives are crippled by it. And I think it's an incredible co-papa for Alan to come on your show. You know, the more we discuss it, the better. Mm. You know, the more that people are open and sharing this so that we're, you know, people aren't ashamed of it, that it's something that uh, we talk about and um, address. Sarah? Thank you. Um, There's some really great opportunities for people to be thinking about um, the gaps, Um, you know, asking ourselves, are we flourishing? Are we thriving? And if not, what are the actions we can be taking now? It is um, World Mental Health Awareness Day um, today. And, um, you know, uh, thinking about making mental health and well-being a priority globally. So some of the actions we can take, um, one framework is the five ways to well-being. So thinking about giving your time, your words, your presence, being active. So doing what you can, enjoying what you do, moving to improve your mood, keeping learning, so embracing new experiences, and taking notice, so appreciating the little things and savouring moments. A big one's connection, so talking and listening, being there for yourself and for others, and doing things to make yourself feel connected. And beyond that... um, Absolutely, and as we've heard um, recently, is um, many people do experience some. Some um, every individual's experience is different, and um, the things that help people thrive are different as well. So um, it is really, really courageous to step forward and to seek help and put your hand up, and it shows great leadership to do that. And it's also an incredible mentoring um, action for those around you to model that that help-seeking behaviour and to step forward and say when you do need help. So um, reaching out and asking for support, have a chat with family, talk to your GP. Yes. There's heaps of helplines you can call as well. Very, very good. Yeah, that connectedness, uh, Connor, that uh, alongside the... Um, the the aspect of sleep, nutrition, but that connectedness is so very important and really something you touched on earlier. Well, that's right, and that's what some people do through through gaming. Um, but look, I think Sarah's made some excellent points there, and I mean, uh, the what she's highlighting is that too much of anything, uh, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's anxiety or drink or whatever, um, is harmful, but it is those practical things that... Uh, and practical steps that people can take to improve their particular situation. And, and uh, you know, all power to your arms, Sarah. You've obviously got um, done a lot of work on that and I'm sure have been very useful to a lot of people. And very nice to have you on the programme, Sarah. Thank you. That's Sarah Willard there, the Chief Executive of uh, Anxiety NZ. And once again, thank you very much to... Uh, all those who got in touch um, and said, could you please put us in touch with Alan Blackman? So I afforded uh, him some of that uh, correspondence. It's nine away to five on the panel, RNZ National. And by the way, um, if you are not able to listen to it uh, in real time, you can actually go online, rnz.co.nz forward slash the panel. And the show is there. You can listen to it uh, in your own time. Please do uh, feel free. When is reality TV not as real as you think it is? Of course, everyone gives a show a little bit of wiggle room with the truth, but the new show, Rich Listers, was highlighted for being maybe a little more fiction than real. This is it here. I've never sold a house with a pole in it. You tell me if we've gone too far. What about skydiving into one of our houses? The brand new series, Rich Listers. Starts this September. It's impressive, it's majestic, my buyer will love it. Let's talk business.
Yeah, they are real estate agents apparently, but are presented with uh, script scenarios. They buy and sell homes, buy, but the deals, they're not real either. The show uses fictional storylines. So we thought, oh, let's get Bill Curtin. He's a very good TV producer behind the likes of the brilliant Neighbours at War. Bill, hello. G'day, Wallace. How are you going? Let me, very good. Let me ask you that million-dollar question, Bill, because, you know, I'm not against my, you know, I love a little bit of um, um, Love It or Listed or million-dollar listing LA, but what is reality TV, Bill? Is it real? Do directors capture life as it is, or do they not? Well, first of all, mate, um, as an extraordinary coincidence, did you know that uh, next Friday is International Reality TV Appreciation Day? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what I just established there is that when humans uh, communicate with each other, there's, there's often, or can be, a little bit of bullshit involved, if I can use that word, yeah. with the exception of our Prime Minister. You know, so what, there's, there's, there's what people tend to call reality TV. There's sort of, you need to draw a distinction between what's constructed reality and what's observational documentary. Oh, what's, the, what's that? Tell me the difference. Right, so so they're quite different. Constructed reality be shows like Married at First Sight, Treasure Island, uh, that other island I heard you discussing last week. Uh, <laughs> F-Boy Island, people, New Zealand. Yeah, <laughs> where people are placed in a constructed scenarios to see what they might do and how they might react in, a, in any given situation. You've got, you know, big elaborate sets, lots of camera, very huge, highly skilled editing teams, and so on. So there's a degree of fabrication, I guess, by definition. Oh. Because, Wallace, you're unlikely to end up naturally on an island with eight other celebrities. That's right. You're right. You're with me? So, so, so there is a degree of fabrication in what you see, but it's more of a sort of a hurry up to cut to the chase, you know, editing out the dead air or a magnification of what's going on to ring out the value, you know? Oh, I see. So, so that's constructed reality. And yep. When you watch that, you're signing on to something. I think you you know you know you've got a fair idea what it is. Then there's observational documentary, which is what I tend to do more of. Ah. Uh. Uh, and then you've got re- you do have real life scenarios, um, but it's filmed usually by you know it's captured sort of fly on the wall style by a one person camera, and then myself as a post director put it together with an editor, and those are shows like Border Patrol and. 10-7 and Highway Cops and Renters and stuff like that, or Neighbours at War, like you said. Uh, so so, so in yeah. Ovstock, you can't, or at least you shouldn't make up what happened, because obviously you, get, you could get yourself into a bit of trouble with the agencies you're working with, um, and B, you don't need to. Uh, okay, well, let's go, around the pa- let's go around the panel on this one. Sue Kersley, what, what do you make about these formats? Do you like uh, it? It's, inter- it's International Reality TV Day coming up. Do you like reality TV? Can't stand them. And um, this show seems to me to be almost as bad as F-Boy Island NZ. But seriously, though, when you say, I mean, why can't you show, in this case, real estate, you know, true stories people yes. would be interested in buying and selling. But I would have thought under the Fair Trading Act, it says it's illegal to mislead or deceive a consumer about a product or service. I'd say that your show would be uh, close to breaching the um, Fair Trading Act. Someone might take a complaint to the Commerce Commission because right at the end after the credits, you put a caveat saying that it's not... Um, 
may may be fabricated, but that's it should be at the beginning of the show at the very least. <laughs> All right, stay there, Bill. Let's get, get Connor and Connor, your favourite reality TV show. Was it Sylvania Waters? Uh, no, Country Calendar. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a good one. <laughs> well, there you are. That, that is reality TV. Right Close, now. Oh, okay. Closely enough. followed by Married at First Sight Australia. Bill? What? <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I mean, look, I haven't seen this this show, and it does seem a little bit preposterous what uh, Sue was just saying there. I, 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 um, I'll have to uh, be indifferent to that one. But look, it sounds on broadly, it just looks like a show where everyone can pervert rich people's houses. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what channel it's on or who made it or yeah, neither do like I. That, but I think it's to look at it, this. Way. This one actually isn't on TVNZ. Surprisingly, it seems to be on something called Vibe. Okay, but but it, it's they're, they're sort of pretending to be real estate agents and they're not, and they're pretending to do deals and they're not, and they're saying a house <laughs> sold for twenty million and it sold for nine. I mean, it's just complete what, pack what, of lies. Well, Bill, what are you like, do you, Bill? Bill Curtin, as a as a TV edition, do you recall the Great Sylvania Waters, Australia? Oh, fantastic television! You see, that was reality yeah. TV, but that was good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was. They didn't. Yeah, I mean that that was them. That's the thing. Sylvania oh. Waters was those people. All oh, right. Yeah. Good on you. Thank you, Bill. All right. And that is us um, for another day. It's Monday, and we had Connor and Sue. By the way, Sue, quite a big response to uh, uh, not being able to watch uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup on. Uh, a state, broad, state broadcaster, but it was on three, is on three, but I think it's delayed just Briefly. a little bit. Yeah, all right. for about half an hour or something. Okay. Uh, thanks for being with us. I'm Wallace Chapman. I'm back tomorrow, 3.45. Checkpoint next. See you tomorrow.